Welcome to the 2017 Outpost Podcast. This week we continue our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. The parable of the soil starts right now. Glad to be, can you hear me? All right. <laughs> Glad to be here with you all tonight. Like Ileana was saying, I think everyone is here for a reason. Um, we are just very expectant for great things tonight. The message I'm about to preach is actually not a new message, and it's not one that I've come up with on my own. Um, it's actually something that was preached for the first time 200 years ago. And about 200 years ago in this country, it was actually in New York City, it was preached by a major revivalist named Charles Finney. And he preached it there, and he saw revival happen as a result of this sermon. Then his, his revival lectures were printed and published in a book, and they were sent all over the world, and they ended up in England. And some people got a hold of it in England, and they, they applied the same truths in the same sermon. And they saw revival happen. And then in, 19, in the 1960s, a young radical musician named Keith Green, who only lived for the Lord for eight years, he died tragically in a plane accident. But during his ministry, when he was actually having a lot of fruit, he got a hold of the same sermon. And up late one night as he was reading it, unable to sleep that night because he was so powerfully hit by this, by this truth and by these truths I'm about to bring to you tonight, he, he went into his house. They had a home where they hosted a lot of people in their ministry. And he started going back to people and asking them for forgiveness for how he had wronged them. As he began to do that, they began to do that with one another, and revival happened. That led again to another revival in Kansas City. And then that same lecture, same revival sermon was published in a book called Youth of Flame, a radical book that I got a hold of. And almost by accident, I stumbled into the truths that I'm about to deliver to you tonight. But I want you to know that the things that I'm presenting and, and going to be speaking about are something that I've gone through personally. And I would honestly not probably be walking with the Lord today if I had not gotten a hold of these truths early in my walk and really lived them out. So what I'm bringing tonight is, um, it's not mine. It's just, I want you to know, though, that it's going to be very, very powerful. This is a truth. When, when, you, when you say what God is saying, there will always be power. When you say exactly what God is saying, you know, and so often we miss what he's saying, but I want tonight to say exactly what God is saying to us. My question, the, really the premise for this message tonight is this question, why is it that when some people seem to be going on well with Jesus and to get it, that they fall away? Or let me ask this, why is it that some people just never get it? Why is it that uh, someone can grow up in church their whole life and walk away from Jesus, they can walk away from Christianity and never believe it, and to the day they die, they just live in rebellion against God? Why is that? That's a great question. That's actually one of the most important questions we could ask today. And the cool thing is, is that Jesus has provided the answer. You can always bring your toughest, hardest questions to the Word of God and find an answer. I'm convinced of that. And this parable we're going to look at tonight is that answer. It's a special parable. It was uh, recorded in three of the four Gospels. So when something's repeated more than once in the Bible, it's like God saying, hey, pay attention. And not only that, Jesus himself said about this parable, if you don't understand this one, you won't actually understand any of the others. That's how important this story is. So let's look at it in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. If you'll turn there with me. We'll read this parable together. Beginning in verse 4. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, 
The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It, it really is one of the most powerful parables that Jesus taught. And it makes sense why you had to understand this parable if you're going to get anything else. What's cool is that Jesus uses a very simple farming metaphor for spiritual truth. You know, any farmers in the room here? Yeah, so, (laughs) yeah, farming is awesome because farming is really based on cause and effect. If you do certain things, you'll see certain results, right? And good farmers, if if a crop fails, they know why. They don't, like, scratch their heads and they're like, what happened? They can identify exactly where it went wrong. And they know that in order to produce a harvest, they have to do certain things like plow. They have to plant seed. They have to water that seed. They have to take care of it until it grows up and is ready and mature to be harvested. Well, Jesus is saying here, look, spiritually, things are the same way. And I found that even in my own life early on in ministry, I was very unphilosophical about the way I did ministry. I was sort of like, hey, you know, Jesus is awesome, and I want to tell everyone, and I would tell people about the Lord, and I would see very little things happen. And I would just scratch my head, like, why, why is it that so few people receive this message? Why do so many people seem so turned off by Christianity? Why, you know, it, it, are we just supposed to keep on going and say, oh, well, you know, only a minority is going to ha- be able to understand it? Oh, well, you know, here on campus at CSU, we're a small minority. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is it just going to get worse as time goes on, we'll be fewer and fewer faithful, committed followers of Jesus. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Something in my heart says no. Something tells me that we've actually forgotten some truths. That, that old revivalist, and in fact, even Jesus himself understood. And the real big truth I'm going to be pulling out tonight is this idea that, that there's something that can be done about a heart which is not ready to receive the word of God. There's something that can be done to clear away the rocks and the thorns, and the hardness, and to prepare a soil which is good, and which will bear fruit. What that is, is called plowing. And so we're going to look at the hard, difficult labor of plowing tonight, and it will be difficult, it will be painful, but it will be good, because the good news is that we are not just supposed to give up and throw our hands up and say, oh well, you know, I I don't understand this stuff, oh well, I really believe if you want to be saved tonight, you will be I really believe if you want to be the good soil, you will be tonight. So let's start by looking at this first soil. Jesus identifies the first one as as the seed that falls by the wayside. The wayside was literally a path going along the field that people would walk on so they wouldn't trample on, on the plants. And the wayside would become very hard as people would walk on it and horses and various creatures would walk on this path. The, the ground would be harder and harder and harder. So much so that any seed that happened to fall on the wayside would just lay there. It wouldn't penetrate the soil. And in order for seed to produce fruit and to produce a plant, it has to go into the soil. Well, it wouldn't do that. It would just be laying there, ready to be snatched by the birds. Jesus is saying that this type of soil is basically what we could call the hard heart. The hard hearted. Um, The hard hearted are the most common heart that I encounter at CSU. In fact, I think that would probably be generally true of most of the world. The hard-hearted are those who are unable to hear God. They are unable to receive anything from the Lord. They are unable to obey God. Not because they can't, but because they won't. And I want to highlight that. I want to draw that truth out. The underlying lie believed by this type of heart, if you have a hard heart here tonight, and I believe there are some here that will because it's just inevitable. If you're hard-hearted, the lie that you've bought into is that it is somehow God's fault that you're hard-hearted. It is somehow God's fault. When I talk to atheists, a lot of times what they'll say to me is, you know, if God would just give me more evidence, I would believe. I would totally believe. I would, of course, I would give up everything. I would believe. See how subtly there the, the insinuation is that it's God's fault? 
God hasn't provided enough. God hasn't done his part. So I'm, I'm not liable. I'm not responsible. What does Jesus say, though? What, what, is, what does Jesus say about hard-heartedness? It, and it's interesting, in the same parable, if we look at Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 15, Jesus is he's quoting a passage from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, to help his disciples understand what he's teaching. And he's saying, look, there are people who have ears who don't hear and people who have eyes who don't see. What do we call those two conditions? Deafness and blindness. Now the question why they're that way is really the important one. Why are people deaf and blind? Is it because God has made them so? It's not. In fact, Jesus says it's because they're hard of hearing and they've closed their eyes. They close their eyes. So what hard-heartedness is, it's like walking around intentionally like this. It's as unintelligent and, and crazy as going through life, closing your eyes. You've done it. Those of you that have a hard heart tonight, you've done this. In fact, it requires a lot of energy, a lot of time, and a lot of commitment to remain hard-hearted. The reason why is Jesus has given us so many influences in this world to, to know the truth. The truth is all around us. God has sent people providentially into your life so that you would know him. I guarantee you that. I, I, God speaks to me randomly with strangers all the time. I'm always going up to them and saying, hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Did you know that he has a right to your life? I'm always going out of my, God's sending me like to the craziest, most random places to talk to strangers. It's, he's given you so many influences. He's probably given you godly parents. So many people I know that are hard-hearted that left the church, their parents are still Christians. You know, he's given you his word. It's available everywhere. It's easy to find. It's on the internet. He's, he's given you revelation in nature, the fact that there are laws, like the co- law of cause and effect, the law of non-contradiction, these things we take for granted. They actually point to him. And so t- in order to remain hard-hearted and blind. It's a willful, intentional thing. It's, you're, you're actually deciding to do that. And in order to do that, what you're doing is you're hunting down arguments that support your position. You will find friends who are just as hard-hearted and maybe even more rotten than you are in their hearts against God. They're, they're even more bitter, and you love to listen to them. You'll find, I've even known hard-hearted people to find churches that will affirm them in the rebellion against God. See, the thing is, and if it sounds like I'm hitting on things here, it's because I used to be this way. I remember getting on the internet and searching for arguments for atheism because I wanted to prove or disprove God to myself. See, because it was so evident to me that God was real and that what God expected of me was right and true. I had to find things. I had to hunt these things down to bolster and and fortify my position against God. That's what hard-heartedness is according to Jesus. Now, the only way that that's going to be solved, the only way that hard-heartedness is broken, and this was in my case, this would be in your case tonight, is if the Holy Spirit can grab your attention long enough and fix your attention on the right truths so that your mind beholds certain realities, certain things that are true about yourself. If he can get your attention fixed long enough, it's going to break your heart. And that is exactly my intention tonight. That, that is what we're going to be aiming for. The more you've experienced of God in the past, the harder your heart will be because there's more understanding of what you're rebelling against. There's more knowledge. You've tasted and you've seen that God is good. And if you've walked away from that tonight, if you're in this room and you've walked away from the goodness of God, you actually have to work even harder than your average person who maybe has never encountered the presence of God before. Next, the t- next type of heart we're going to look at, it fares a little better, but it's really not much better. And this is the soil which Jesus describes as the rocky soil. There's a thin layer of topsoil, just enough for the plant to take root, just enough to start out okay, and then over time, because of a lack of moisture, it withers and dies. What is this soil? We would say this type of heart is the shallow heart. The shallow-hearted. If this is your heart tonight, you basically are a feeler when it comes to Christianity. Your, your Christian walk is based solely on feelings and how you feel. You're constantly examining the feelings that you have in your heart 
to see if you're really walking with Jesus or not. Because Jesus says that this type, they receive the word with joy. There's a feeling, there's a, there's a pleasure in hearing from God, but it, it doesn't last. And feelings will not, um, they won't carry you. They're not, God didn't design you to just feel him and, and have that be your, the basis of your walk with him. This is the type of person who will come up to an altar call, who will come up and respond after an outpost message or a church message, and they'll look like they're evidently responding to Christ, but a week later, two weeks later, maybe a month later, they're falling back into old ways, old habits. I've watched this happen. It's a tragic thing. As I was preparing this sermon, I could think of specific individuals. This happens, and you might be that in this room. You, like Jesus, you like his teachings, you have good feelings about him, and about, you know, you, you like most of what he teaches, I'll say that. You like the idea of being a Christian, maybe. You like the outpost. You know, it's possible to be converted to the outpost, but not to Christ. I've seen it happen once again. I've, I've been in this long enough. I've seen friends, close friends, who evidently seem like they didn't really get a hold of Jesus. They just got a hold of this community. Because when they left it, they didn't look anything like him anymore. They stopped walking with him. They don't bear fruit. In fact, some of them completely backslid. So that this heart exists is, is true. It's real. The, the, how to know if this heart is you, one of the best and surest ways to know this is if your Christian walk is a continual cycle of sin and asking God for forgiveness. If it's sin Asking God forgiveness, sin, asking God. If you're still stuck and mired in sin after sin after sin, if you're constantly asking Jesus back into your heart, you're constantly going back. What that shows is that there's really never been a real change of heart in you. That it's, it's just been a surface thing. It's never really been an actual, real change of heart where you supremely choose Jesus for his sake and not yourself. I have challenged in ministry, I have challenged uh, people I have met from other faiths. I have challenged Muslims. I have challenged um, believers from other denominations. I've, I've challenged Mormons. I've challenged uh, pe- backslidden Christians. I've challenged lukewarm, um, counterfeit Christians with this one question. This is my challenge. I say, is your belief system or the way you're living freeing you from sin? Are you walking in a freedom or victory from sin? I still have yet to hear yes. The only people I hear yes from to that answer are true followers of Jesus Christ. Because there is no one else, there is no other person in this world who will save you from sin. And the underlying lie believed by this type of heart is that you can be saved by Jesus and yet remain a sinner. Oh my goodness, this lie is preached it's taught. I've heard it. I've been under the teaching of it. It's so unbiblical. It's not reality. Matthew 1, 21 says, and his name shall be called Jesus or Savior in Hebrew, and he will save you from your sins. What does it say there? Does it say he will save you in your sins? The difference between being saved in your sins and from your sins is the difference between heaven and hell. Jesus did not come as a savior for any reason but this. That, that, that is very abundantly clear in scripture, to save us from sin. And so this heart, the shallow heart, experiences no victory over sin, no, no freedom from habits, that you go on hurting other people, you keep hurting God. It's completely anti-Christian. It's, it's, as, it's as opposite of Christianity as you can get. And so even though you may look the part it may seem like you have the real thing. The fact that you compromise shows that you don't. And even though in this country we don't have persecution, Jesus said that this type would be exposed by persecution and hardship, and then it, it would wither. Even though we don't have that persecution here, to really reveal the true nature of our hearts, you do know this. Whether your denial of Christ has been public or private really makes no difference. If it's only you that knows that there's a compromise in your, in your heart, it's still the same. It shows that you receive the word with joy, but there was no root to it. And what you need tonight is to have that heart plowed, softened. Third and 
Next, we'll, we'll look at the last of the soils that does not make it. This is the heart type we would call the choked heart. This heart believes the fundamental lie that it is possible to enter eternity without having lived for it or in light of it. That it is possible to enter eternity without living for it or in light of it. This is the subtlest crop failure because in this soil, the plant actually seems to be doing okay. Compared with the first one where there's no plant and the second one where there's a plant but it's withered and it's dead, this one seems to be making it. However, because this heart type seems the most real, the deception is all the worst. Because the death is by choking, and it's not sudden, it's a slow, drawn-out death. It's even more deceptive. And what's even more is that the thing it's being choked by, notice what Jesus says, by the cares, the pleasures, and the, and the issues of life. Not bad things. Not apparently evil things. They're good things that choke this plant and this type of heart. The tragedy is that those who have this heart are living in survival mode. If this is you tonight, you're living, you're basically, your Christian walk, to the extent of it is just you. It doesn't reach anyone else. No other lives are being changed because of your life. Nor could they be. You're constantly trying to figure out if you're really saved. You're trying to figure out, do you really have the real thing? You're constantly trying to have people pray for you instead of praying for others. You basically show that you're, you've only got enough light or fire in your heart to make it, maybe barely. A person with this kind of heart practically denies the existence of eternity by living for what is temporary and fleeting. The greatest evidence for eternity and the immortality of the soul, the greatest evidence on this world is a community of people who live like that's real. The greatest evidence that, that eternity actually is, that there will be, that we will go on forever, that greatest evidence of that is people who live like that. They make choices to that to the rest of the world seem crazy and foolish. They do things like sacrificing themselves. They lay down their lives. They give up their pleasures. They give up their dreams, their ambitions. They're sacrificial. This is crazy to the world. Why would you give up good things? It's because they're living for something greater. And in the outpost, you probably hear a lot about, about sacrifice, and we love to highlight stories that are sacrificial. It's not because we love sacrifice for its own sake. Hear me. It's because we love eternity, and we love it when, when students line up their lives with what is eternal. That's amazing, and that's worth celebrating. I'm thinking of dear friends of mine, Ben and Michaela Stone, who lived a sacrificial life while they are at CSU. I remember talking with I think it was Ian, and he said how Ben would be studying, and he would get a call from one of his guys, and he would just drop his studies right then and there and go hang out with him. And then he'd go back, and he'd study later that night. I don't know how Ben slept while he was in college. He probably didn't. But the funny and ironic thing, and, and I will, I'll get to that in a moment. Let me, let me put Ben aside. Let me keep going. This person, if, you, if this is your heart tonight, if you're choked, you want to have both self and God exalted. And if it comes down to it, God can be exalted, but you're going to do it begrudgingly. You're going to be like, okay, do I really have to give that up? Do I really have to surrender that? And you're going to have a hard time reading the Bible because the Bible is going to suggest newer and different ways of sacrifice. And you're going to come across something new and you're going to be, I have to do that too? Are you going to have to give up that? I thought I gave up plenty. And your life is kind of this bargain with God. If this is your heart tonight, you are looking for the bare minimum to gain entrance into heaven while living the most for this life possible. The irony and the sad truth is that you have enough of God in your heart to be miserable in the world and enough of the world in your heart to be miserable with God. That's the truth. That's what it's like to walk, in, in, walk that fence and not really be all the way for God. It is basically a legal heart. A legal heart is motivated by the bare minute. What are the requirements, God? What exactly, what do you want? I'll do that and no further. That's a legal faith. That's the same kind of faith the Pharisees had. Interesting, isn't it, that it could, be, it could look like that? What is the evidence of this heart? Other than a lack of fruit, who is following Jesus today because of your life? You know your heart is choked when you say you are too busy to make disciples. When you fixate on busyness, 
when busyness is sort of your catchword. <laughs> You're constantly complaining about it. I'm so busy. I don't have time. You're constantly thinking about time. Time is temporal. It's not eternal. You're constantly uh, con you're consumed by a temporal things. If you don't have time to do what God has commanded you to do, obviously you're choked. You will always have time to do what God has commanded you to do. You will always have time to do the will of God. Now it's time to get your elbow pads on. Okay, ready? <laughs> ready for this one? This one's going to hurt. Saying, I have to be a great student in order to glorify God is a common excuse for having a choked heart because it makes it seem like God is being glorified more by your grades than by winning souls. And what I mean by, let me unpack that for a moment. A lot of times what I've seen happen when people become Christians, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, I used to like rap music. You know, for instance, like I used to be a rap artist maybe. Now, I'm not saying I was, but in this example, I used to be a rap artist. And now I'm a Christian, so I'm going to be a, a Christian rap artist. The problem with that is you're, it's like you're sneaking in yourself through the back door and you're, you're kind of putting on this front like God's going to be glorified by that. God's not going to get any glory from you getting yourself exalted. God's not going to get any glory from you saying, God, how can I sneak in the real desires of my heart? If the real desire of your heart is just to be a successful student, don't say you're doing it for God. Now, the, the, real, the real truth of this is, and I, I mentioned Ben and Michaela. Ben and Michaela are a great example because Ben and Michaela were also great students. It's not like when they decided to live sacrificially and to make God's kingdom a priority, they flunked out. They did the opposite. And that will always be the case. When you put God first, you will excel in everything you put your hands to. You know why that is? Because the principles and the truths of God make you rise to the top. That happens over and over in the Bible. I'm thinking about four young Jewish men in captivity in Babylon. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Daniel is appointed to the second in command. Joseph is appointed to the second in command with Pharaoh. You know, over and over again, these guys, Paul ends up appealing before kings. They get promoted to the top. It's because they're living for Jesus that that happens, though. And so I want to just show you that, that a lot of times when I've seen people say, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm being a great student. I don't have time to make disciples. They don't make disciples for sure. The sad thing is, is that their heart is choked, and they don't see it. It's because I love you all that I say this. So what is then the good soil? What does the good soil look like? The good soil loves Jesus. I would say, if you were to describe what this heart is, it's, it's a tender heart. The good soil is a tender heart. It loves Jesus wholeheartedly. If you have the good soil, if your heart is this tender heart, there's no greater love story in the world. There's no greater love story ever written. There will never be anything better than the love between a man or woman with Jesus Christ. There literally will never be a greater love story than that. And that's true of your heart. The good soil continues producing fruit as long as it, as it is good soil. And the expectation of the Bible is that we remain the good soil for the rest of our lives. Hallelujah. That is the expectation. You can expect from here on out that your life in Christ will only grow richer, deeper, and more passionate. I've heard before ministers, ministers of the gospel, they'll, they'll meet a new believer in Christ who is on fire. And the new believer will come to them and say, I'm, I'm just so passionate for Jesus. I love Jesus. And sometimes ministers will actually say, oh, don't worry. It'll go away. Really? Really? Your love for God is going to go away? Those of you that are new believers here, you remember this. You are to be more passionate for Jesus Christ five years from now, ten years from now. 15 years from now than you are right now. Your passion should not waver. It shouldn't oscillate between the, the broad and the narrow path. You shouldn't be doing this back and forth thing. You should be going on with God, continually growing, growing in grace and loving him more and more and more. That should be the desire of your heart, and you should live that way from now on until here on out to the rest of your life. The good heart produces good hearts in others. 
No other heart type can do this. A sure sign of having a heart which is tender and soft is seeing others become tender and soft as a result of your own life. The gospel planted in a heart fully tilled and soft will remain for a lifetime, like I said, and into eternity. The good soil fulfills the law without hardly recognizing it is doing so because the heart is so sensitive to God and his desires. It is no longer concerned with self. John Wesley said in the midst of his ministry, someone asked him, John Wesley, how's your soul? He said, I forgot I had one. That's the good soil. I forgot I had a soul. I'm too busy loving Jesus and loving others. I'm consumed with it. That's what it's like to have the good heart. The prayer life of the good soil will be like Christ. It's one of the greatest evidence of good, good soil. You will love to pray. You will love to spend time with him. It will not be a chore. It will not be a task that you have to check off. Finally, the good soil will enter eternity with armfuls of fellow souls to lay at their Savior's feet as the greatest tribute which could ever be offered before the throne of the King of Kings. No greater gift can you give Jesus than to bring others with you before his throne, to lay them down at his feet, to bring, I just imagine, I just picture entering eternity linked arms with so many people that have begun to follow Jesus because of my life. And, I, and, and that's what Jesus intends for every one of us, if we would all be the good soil. Now, how do we get there? So if you're saying, and I don't, I, you know, if you, it, for instance, if you're the rocky soil, you know, you know that it's not right that you just keep going on sinning and, and you know, asking for forgiveness and sinning. And you know that's not right. You know that it's not supposed to be that way. Something about that seems off. It is off. And you're beginning to cry out in your heart, what do I need to do, Jesus, to get right? What do I need to do to be that good soil? God is not fatalistic. He has prescribed a way. That way is this. Break up the fallow ground. He says this twice, and the prophet Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 4.3, and he says it again in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. You break up the fallow ground. Fallow ground is just, it's ground that's been hardened. It's allowed to, uh, it's basically, it was once plowed, but it's not been plowed in a while. And wild weeds and things grow up in it, and it needs to be plowed again. The thing is that Jesus is saying to you tonight, you break up the fallow ground of your heart. You do this. And I want to show you how. Like I said, this sermon is old. It's not a new thing. <laughs> the way that you do this, like I said, is, is fixing your attention on the right thing. It's getting your thoughts fixed on the truth. What you have to do, and the reason why your heart, if, if your heart is not the good soil, there's a reason for it. It's not an accident. It, it didn't just happen. It's, it's been built up over time. It's your past which has not been dealt with. A past undealt with will destroy your future with God. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that people have not told you this. Some of you are like, I've never heard this stuff before. And what I'm about to say tonight, you're, you're like, I've never been told this before. But what we have to do is you have to clean out your closet. There has to be a thorough, relentless, just cleaning out of the past. A thorough confession of sin. So often, invitations are given into the Christian walk by just saying, you know, just confess your sin generally. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. And that's it. You need to go back through the particulars, the things that you've done wrong. Specifically, you think, oh, that's, that's going to take all night. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. You were able to commit those things individually. You can go back through them individually. You had time to do those, those sins. You had time to, to examine them. And I read, I'm not kidding, I read this chapter, and, I, and it, it stunned me. It was early on in my Christian walk. I was 21 years old. And, I had, and there's a checklist. I'm just going to go through it to help you. Really, it's the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one really doing a lot right now. But he's going to be calling to remembrance specific things, specific wrongs that you've done and you've not made right. And what my challenge is going to be tonight is that you resolve in your heart as the Holy Spirit begins to witness and, and remind you of these things, that you're going to do the best in your ability to make them right. Because what I'm after, what the outpost is after, what Jesus Christ is after, is bringing real good into this world. Really making this world right again. Not just someday in heaven, everything will be cleared up. We really believe in actually making it right now. 
really making it good now. And if you do this, you will be the good soil, I promise. This is plowing. Plowing is going back through the past. I wrote down a list of things that I had done throughout my childhood, my life. And guess what? It's almost break. This is a very timely message. When I was about to enter break, summer break at that time, I wrote down a list of people I needed to go visit that I had wronged growing up. High school, middle school, um, even after high school when I worked for a year before I came to college. One story in particular, I had stolen candy from a middle school teacher. Candy, it was like nothing. So small. But it's funny how even the small things stick with us. Isn't that interesting? That you just can't, that's small. Why should should you be bothered by it? But that's not the way it works. (laughs) If I had been willing to steal small things from her, I would have been willing to steal large things from her had I had the opportunity to do so. So what I did is I wrote down her name. I called the school district that she had just retired. So I had no way to get in touch with her. I didn't know how to get a hold of her. She was gone. And so I said, okay, God, like I want to, I want to tell her I stole from her and pay her back. That was my goal. I said, God, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to have you plow my heart. I'm willing to have you soften my heart and make sure that it's good. And so what I did is I I just set that aside. I was working for Pepsi that summer. At the end of the summer, I was in the grocery store going through my job, and suddenly down the aisle, here comes that middle school teacher on her way to leave the country, probably forever. You know, she's retired. She's leaving. Not a coincidence. I had prayed for this. I said, God, if you can make it happen, make it happen. God made it happen. I went up to her. I said, look, I stole from you. All the way back in middle school, I stole from you some candy. Can I repay you? She said, don't worry about it. Just let it go. But what that did is it did something in me. And I hope it witnessed to her. I wasn't trying to convince her to be a Christian right there. I was just getting things right. I challenged my guys to do this several years back. One of my guys, he had stolen stuff from Walmart. He went back to the same Walmart. Different people worked there. He didn't know what to do. He just said, I'll I'll find a manager. He talked to a manager and said, look, I stole stuff from here several years ago. Can I pay you back? There's an amazing story about a young girl that Charles Finney was dealing with who was a kleptomaniac, meaning she stole things compulsively. It became an addiction to steal. She had stolen from basically every person in her town. And as she was stealing and stealing and stealing, finally God began to deal with her heart. And she went to Charles Finney. She said, what do I need to do to be saved? And he said, you need, to, you need to give everything back. You need to go back to every single person you stole from. Tell them them, and offer to repay them. He said it was the most amazing conversion he's ever seen to Christ in his ministry. Because there was such a thorough breaking up of her heart. She had to go back to, to, to people that she never was hoping to see again to make things right with them. She had even, at one point, stolen a Bible, and she couldn't remember who she stole it from. He said, keep it as a testimony of what God's done in your heart. He said she went on to be one of the most faithful believers he's ever seen. There was a thorough plowing of her heart. She went back and made it right. So, Jessamine, if you could come up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just invite you to begin examining with the Holy Spirit and have him begin the work of plowing your heart. Because if, if you're one of those soils I depicted that is not the good soil, you need, you, for Jesus' sake tonight, you need to do this. You need to make things right. And I tell you the truth, if you do this, you will go on with God for the rest of your life. You won't have to waver. You won't have to be torn between him and the world and the desires of, uh, in, inside you won't be warring anymore. You will be a resolute, steadfast Christian. So the first thing I want to look at, and I'm just going to start going through these, and as I begin going through them, let the Holy Spirit bring things to mind. The first things I want to look at are, are things that we've done, really, that we didn't do, but we should have done. Sins of omission. Has there been any ingratitude? Let's start with ingratitude. A thankless heart in you. Remember every time that God has done something remarkable for you. Maybe he spared your life. Maybe he brought someone into your life that you needed at at that time. Every instance of goodness, even when you're still in sin, before you're a Christian or after you're a Christian, think of every time where you you didn't thank God. You didn't even thank him. You took that and just with ingratitude you said, 
Okay, great. Think about every time, those of you who are believers, you've neglected the Bible for weeks or longer. God's word was not a pleasure to you. Some people, they read whole chapters in such a way that afterwards they could not tell you what they had been reading. If that is so with you, it says no wonder your life has no direction and your relationship with God is in such a miserable state. A lack of prayer. Think of all the times you've neglected private prayer, prayer with others, prayer meetings, and you've prayed in such a way as to grieve and offend God more than if you hadn't prayed at all. A lack of love for souls. Look around at all your friends and relatives and think of how little compassion you have felt for them. You have stood by and seen them going straight to hell, and it seems as though you didn't even care. How many days have there been when you have failed to make their condition the subject of even one single fervent prayer or to prove any real desire for their salvation? I went back, when I, was, when I was back in Grand Junction, I met up with an old friend from high school. My dad said, I, this guy's name was Michael. My dad said, I believe Michael's in, in our life. He's in our home. He was at our house all the time. My dad said, I, I think it's so that he can know Jesus. Do you know what I did in high school? I didn't live for Jesus. I lived as a hypocrite, total hypocrite. I went back to Michael. I texted him years later. This was after college. I said, Michael, I need to meet up with you. I met up with him. I said, Michael, I need, to ask you to for- I need to ask you to forgive me because I didn't lead you to Jesus. I literally, I told him that to his face. <laughs> I just started to realize what, what a waste, what, how I wasted time. I wasted so much. And the weight of that began to break up my heart as I believe it will do yours. A lack of watchfulness over your witness. How many times have you failed to take your words and actions seriously? How often have you entirely neglected to watch your conduct and speech? And having been off your guard, you have sinned before the world, the church, and before God. Neglect to watch over your brethren, your brothers, your sisters. How often have you broken your covenant that you would watch over them in the Lord? How little do you know or care about the state of their souls? And yet you are under a solemn duty to watch over them. What have you done to get to know them better? How many times have you seen them falling into sin and you didn't say anything and you pretend to love them? Would you watch a family member or a close beloved relative going into disgrace or falling into a fire and hold your peace? Neglect of self-denial, this again is the thorny heart. There are many professing Christians who are willing to do almost anything in religion or Christianity that does not require self-denial. They will willingly... They think that they're doing a great deal for God, but they're not giving out of their lack. They're giving out of their abundance. They will not willingly suffer reproach for the name of Christ. They will not deny themselves the luxuries of life to save a world from hell. They are so far from realizing that self-denial is a condition of discipleship, they do not even know what it is. They have never really denied themselves a ribbon or a pin for Christ in the gospel. They give only from surplus. This one, I believe, is really big for it. Now we're going to look at sins that we've done vanity. How many times have you spent more time decorating your body to go to church than you have in preparing your heart and mind for the worship of God? You've cared more about how you appeared outwardly to men and women than how your soul appeared in the sight of God. You sought to divide the worship of God's house and to draw off the attention of God's people to look at your appearance. And you pretend that you do not care anything about having people look at you. Would you take all this pain about your looks if everyone Envy. Looking at the cases in which you were jealous of those who were in a higher position than you. Or perhaps you have envied those who have been more talented or more useful than yourself. Have you not so envied some that it caused you pain to hear them praised? It has pleased you more to dwell upon their faults than upon their virtues. Upon their failures rather than their successes. Be honest with yourself and if you've harbored the spirit of hell, then repent deeply before God. Slander. This, is, this one is so big. This one is so entrenched in my own life. Gossip. Think of all the times you've spoken behind people's backs of their faults, even if they were real, unnecessarily and without cause. This is slander. You don't have to lie to be guilty of slander. To tell the truth with the intent to injure is slander. Think about times you've spoken behind backs of others. You've brought them up in a way that totally destroyed the reputation. Totally, totally ruined it. I went to a girl. She was an outpost years ago, and she was the kind of girl that she was doing things that obviously were bad. You know, she just, people were talking about her. I joined in. And I was convicted by this. I said, God, I need to make it right with her. I went up to her. I said, will you forgive me for the things I said behind your back? She didn't even know I had said those things. I said, look, I have to make this right. 
I have, I have to tell you how I, how I hurt you. You didn't even know it. She was so amazed. She was stunned. People don't do this kind of thing anymore, like I'm saying. But, but she began to, to truly give, uh, she, she just began to, to really soften her heart afterwards. How many times have you spoken against your parents? Have you dishonored your father and mother? Have you joked about them in a way that just totally tore them down? What are you doing with the money that they're giving you to be in college? Are you living for yourself? Do they know the way you're living your life? If they, if they knew the way that you were spending their, your, your time in college and, and their money, would they be pleased or would they be dishonored by it? Lying. <laughs> Lying is any form of designated design deception. If your purpose is to make an impression other than the naked truth, you lie. Think of all the cases you can recollect. Don't call them by any soft names. God calls in lies and charges you with lying, so you better charge yourself correctly. Think of all your words, looks, and actions designed to make an impression on others contrary to the truth for selfish reasons. Broken vows. Have you pledged something to God that you have not kept? Have you made promises to him you haven't fulfilled when it was in your power to do so? Cheating. Think of all the examples where you've done something to someone else you would not have them do to you. The golden rule is simple. Do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. If you've done anything to injure someone that you would not have them willingly do to you, this is cheating. Have you defrauded others? Hypocrisy. How many times have you confessed sins that you never intended to stop doing? You confessed sins when you knew in your heart you as much expected to go and repeat them as you expected to live. Sexual sins. You know, I had to add some that, that Finney didn't even have on his list that are, we deal with here in the church today. Have you attempted to involve someone in a relationship with yourself for the purpose of sex? Have you had a sexual relationship with someone that has not been repented of? Think of the guilt of lust. How many times have you watched pornography? Have you made out with someone and gone too far? You didn't love that person, you used them. Even relationships that were not physical but manipulative emotionally for personal gain are utterly wicked in God's sight. Did you break up with someone in a way that left them in more pain? How have you spoken about those you broke off relationships with? That one I think cuts probably pretty well across the room. I had, I had girls I had to go back. I called them. And I said, I need you to forgive me for the way I treated you. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ now. I started following Jesus. And I need you to know that the way I treated you is not at all the way he would treat you. I need you to know that because I treated you that way, your image and your, your ideas of God are totally skewed. But I want, I want to set it right as best as I can. Would you forgive me? Believe me, it was awkward. It was difficult. It was painful. It's humbling to go back and tell people that. To go and make that right. And, to, and, and not to blame them either, but to take ownership and say, this is on me. Have you used drugs in order to gain enlightenment or for spiritual understanding? That's an abomination in God's eyes. Any instances of drunkenness or being high are a total affront to God and a mockery of the Holy Spirit. Meditation, engagement in any kind of spiritual activity that is witchcraft, sorcery, seeking demonic powers, these things all need to be repented of, all need to be made right with God. Just finally robbing God. Think of all the instances in which you have totally misspent your time, squandering the hours which God gave you to serve Him and save souls, especially playing video games, watching movies, precious time wasted in vain amusement or worthless conversation and reading worldly novels or worldly magazines or even doing nothing. Cases where you've misused your talents and ability to think. Think of how you've squandered God's money on your lusts or spent it for things which you didn't really need, which did not contribute to your health, comfort, or usefulness. There was a woman once that Winky Prattney was ministering to, and she said, I don't need God. I don't have any need of him. And I'm a good person. And he said, oh, really? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I don't need him. He said, well, first of all, you're a thief. She said, what? I haven't stolen anything. I've never stolen a thing in my life. He said, you're a thief. You've stolen your life away from God. You stole, you stole what rightfully belonged to him in time, talents, energy, things that really should have been his. I did this, guys. I went through this thing. And, I, and to the best of my ability, I wrote down a list. I made it right. Every single one. 
I went to people that barely knew me that I had spoken badly against behind their backs, and I confessed to them. I went to people that knew me well. I remember confessing to my brother, my biological brother. I said, will you forgive me for the way I treated you? I, I didn't even care if he went to hell. When we were in high school, man, I, I, I discovered things he was doing that were really evil. I didn't even care. It didn't even bother me in my heart. I went back to him and I said, will you forgive me for the way I treated you? For years, I mistreated him. Right? That, and so I, I did this. And, and so tonight, right now, right now, what we have, uh, we have some more time just to, just to get with the Holy Spirit. Just get alone with the Holy Spirit. If that means coming up front here, come up front. If that means getting on your knees, get on your knees, but don't just sit in your chairs and do nothing. If, that, if, if what I described tonight, your heart was that soil which is not good, work the plow through your heart. Don't hold back. Even things that are small, don't, don't say, oh, it's just a little thing. Go over it. Let the plow run deep. Let every clod, every, every hard thing be broken up inside you. And I promise there will be a revival. I promise that we will experience the same things that were attended to this truth in the past. I'm going to pray, and then let's just respond. Let's, let's just, just be with the Holy Spirit and, and begin confessing to God things that you did against Him. And then wherever possible, if it's someone else that was involved that you hurt, confess to them later. You're going home over break. Thanksgiving, winter break, going to be perfect opportunities to follow through on this. I promise if you do, we will see a revival at CSU. The work of God will go beyond these walls. It won't just be a fun thing that we had in Outpost. It, will, it really will transform lives outside of here. But we've got to set ourselves to this. I can't do it alone. I can't just, it doesn't work that way. I can't just go out to battle by myself. Nate can't go out to battle by himself. My wife can't go out to battle by herself. <laughs> We're not going to win this campus unless we do this work first. Unless our hearts are, are truly tender before God. Holy Spirit, just come. I pray that your power would come right now. As we prayed for as we long for, as we've asked for, Holy Spirit, would you do the work again that you've done in the past? Do it again here with us, Jesus, tonight. Break up the hard ground. Lord, lead us to put our hands to the plow and not to shrink back. Lord, we will do it with your power, with your help, with your grace. We will do it. Jesus, we won't flinch. We're going to go at this with everything we've got. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us for the Outpost Podcast. See you next time.